a lot of my work is it it's working on the subconscious because we're body-based. So I don't go in and say, let's talk about your most, you know, traumatic memory and all of the feelings mm -hmm. that came up as a result. That's actually um, part of what makes the work so traumatizing in other systems is because Pleasure work of any kind is attachment work. Anytime we're working on our pleasure stories, we're connecting to our first experiences of pleasure. They say that life is full of opportunities, right? So why are so many of us dreading getting out of bed to face another day? I know what that's like. My life was full of conflict, stress, failure, and fear. When I got cancer for the second time, my choice was simple, change or die. Today, I love waking up. I love my life. I love owning my own business that is helping people learn and grow. So how do you unlock that kind of transformation in your life? Let's discover the answers together as we hear from ordinary people like you and me and their extraordinary success stories. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Welcome everyone to our show today. We have a very special guest who has a very unique story, and, and I'm really excited for her to be able to share her story and, and uh, what she's been through, kind of how she transitioned through that. So today I have Nisha Fair with me, and Nisha is actually, she has done research in sex education and she is very much into helping other women to be able to have a more holistic embody themselves and have a more pleasurable in our, our lives, our connections with our spouse, with our significant others, and be able to really connect with them. She works almost exclusively with female survivors from those that recover from unhealthy relationships to help them reclaim a nourishing, authentic, and soulful aligned relationship to have that pleasure and support them to live purposeful in every area of their life. So Nisha, thank you for being here today and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. So Nisha, take us back. So obviously you've had some experience with this, obviously, to be able to be an expert in it. So can you take us back to your story and kind of where you started and kind of what happened? How far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> That's how far um, you want to share. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I am a survivor. I've um, had a lot of abuse from childhood. Um, I came from a very turbulent home. But my experience with sex, sexuality, and pleasure generally wasn't really all that affected, at least that I was aware of. I was very well adjusted. I really enjoyed sex. I was very open to experimentation and um, didn't have any real hangups that were lingering from those early injuries, which can be very common for a lot of women as uh, they become sexually active after having histories of abuse. So when I entered into my most recent long-term relationship uh, with the man who I ended up marrying, um, 
I was more experienced than him. I was definitely more self-aware. I'd been on my healing path for God at that time, 20 years, 44. Now we met when I was 30. Um, and the relationship was extremely unhealthy. It's, you know, as all abusive relationships do, they start off with a little bit of manipulation and coercion. And eventually, you know, you're in real hot water and it became physically abusive as well as being emotionally, psychologically, and very spiritually abusive as well. Um, and so when I came out of that relationship, this is in 2014, um, I couldn't even touch myself. I couldn't self-pleasure. I was terrified of sex. I was, the whole idea of being intimate with someone else just filled me with such horror and fear because of, even though there wasn't any, there weren't any really violent uh, sexual experiences that happened during that relationship, the assault on my sexuality and my relationship to my aliveness, my relationship to pleasure, and really my connection to who I am as a spiritual and sexual being, why I came here, was just so devastated by those years. It was five years that we were together in total, uh, by those years of, of constant invasion of my boundaries, constant lack of safety, constant, uh, you know, criticism and the emotional manipulation, the physical abuse. I mean, I find that the, the emotional stuff actually is harder to recover from than the physical for me anyways, because it's just, it's so pervasive and it's sneaky. Mm -hmm. It gets in under your skin and it, it, Anyway, so I found that to you be to think things about yourself that aren't really yeah, true. Yeah, totally. no, I totally get it. hundred mm -hmm. percent. So after that relationship, it took me a really long time to reconnect with myself. And I took a really long, I took about a year, year and a half of what I now call intentional celibacy to reconnect with myself and do my deep healing work. Um, and in that time, I also started to heal a lot of the stuff from my childhood that I hadn't been looking at. And what I realized, both through this relationship with my ex-husband and um, a couple of casual dating experiences that I had early on in re-entering the dating pool, was that I'd been fawning and performing my way through pretty much all of my sexual interactions. Now, fawn for anyone who um, isn't aware is a stress response. It's one of our nervous system responses along with fight and flight and shutting down. And it can look like, um, people pleasing, doting. It can look like going along with something in the relationship because it feels easier because you don't want to start a fight. Um, maybe doing a sexual act because you want to preserve the relationship or you don't want them to leave. Um, things of this nature that really end up not being healthy. Well, they're not healthy, but what's interesting about it is that it's not, it's not a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. It's not something we do intentionally. It's literally, it's our nervous systems learn. And it's partly because it's how women are conditioned, but it's also a nervous system response that is more typical for female bodies because of our female neurotransmitters and the more oxytocin that we have, we are more um, in healthy, iterations it's called tend and befriend and so it's you know we women we love our conversations we feel really nourished when we have those really deep rich interactions with one another we get lots of eye contact and um, men don't have that same uh, response to 
intimate connection, emotional connection as women do. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to say most men because there are some that do, and I actually have one, so I'm so grateful. Um, But he can tap into that, you know, feminine side as well. And, And that's a really, really powerful thing. It is wonderful. And I think men who are balanced in their masculine and feminine have that, but men who haven't started to unpack their conditioning, their social conditioning, tend to um, run more in the, what I call the dominant masculine. Yes. And I also was married to that as well. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I can totally relate to both sides. So, Uh, and some of these two are biological, right? So the fight flight response is the typically male uh, stress response and the tend and befriend. This is what research says. It's not always across the board, but these are sort of tendencies. I feel like I've got off track from when I was saying my story. (laughs) So you were just talking about kind of your process and you were five years out of your marriage and you were really finding yourself during that time. So the relationship was, yeah, the relationship was five years, but I was just out of it. Um, a year or two when I started realizing that this fawning issue was so prevalent in uh, in so many of my sexual interactions and most of my relationships. But it was through that process and seeing how I behaved and how I interacted with men uh, as an adult that I started to then go back and look at all the ways that I'd fawned in my family relationships and all of the ways that I had been forced to go along with things I didn't want to do and perform, you know, the version of myself that wouldn't get hurt or yelled at or um, neglected. Mm -hmm. And so it was really through, I mean, I'm not going to say thank you to him (laughs) at all, but it was, um, it was through that relationship. It really opened up it was a huge Pandora's box for me that really opened up a lot for me to, to work on in myself. Right. Right. And I, I can totally relate with the, not necessarily wanting to say thank you for that relationship, but thank you for what I learned because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like I I went through cancer and yeah, I wouldn't say I loved that I went through it, but I learned so much. So we learn through our experiences and what we go through and makes us a better person. And it makes us know what we want because we know what we don't want. Yes, (laughs) That was a big thing for me uh, after mine. So anyway, go back to, so you've kind of experiencing this, you're, you're finding yourself and um, how, like, did you just start like finding out certain ways that worked for you and, and that were kind of helping you? Um, so I have been a somatics researcher for, God, I don't know, 10, 12 years now. And I've been involved in sort of contemplative practice, body, mind practices since I was a teenager. It's always been in my life. So I've always had that as a kind of foundation for my personal practice and also how I look at the world. Um, so when I first started doing sexual reclamation work, I went in the, I went in the direction of a lot of conscious sexuality or what's called sacred sexuality programs. And 
I didn't have the experience I was hoping for. Let's just say that. So people with sensitive nervous systems, people with trauma histories are very, are predisposed to potentially being re-traumatized by a lot of these types of programs. And I was one of those people. Mm -hmm. um, many years later, I would end up attracting a lot of clients as a result who needed to recover from some of these programs because unfortunately, you know, we don't pass spirituality and, and spiritual work through, um, you know, best practices, best medical practices and, and what's expected in terms of, um, uh, uh, say, a psychological or psychology type um, system where they're expected to be trauma-informed, they're expected to have, you know, um, intake forms, they're expected to, to meet certain levels of, of client care, shall mm -hmm. we say. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one, that's kind of a bit of a flag that I fly. I really think it's important that um, spirituality get into the 21st century and that they we'll start to, that. <clears throat> to incorporate more um, trauma-informed research into their practices and into the way they work with clients and students. Um, there's a tendency to kind of think that, oh, it's it's someone who's representing God or someone who's who's interpreting religious or spiritual teaching. So we don't need to question them, but we all have our stuff and we're all passing it along. And if we don't have these checks and balances in place, then people can get hurt and they do. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with a lot of, a lot of people who um, by no fault of the, the folks who were teaching or who were coaching, um, it's just a lack of awareness. And because I had that these years of background in somatics and in trauma-informed methodologies, I saw them all right away. I saw the pitfalls, I saw the problems, I saw the things that were, um, that were potentially very re-traumatizing for people with histories like mine. And you, know, you don't even have to have childhood abuse in your, in your history, any form of trauma, any form of nervous system injury any kind of sensitivity, especially sensitive women, and women get more sensitive as we get older, um, those, those little tripwires are more sensitive. So it's just, uh, it's something to be mindful of. So that was, that's how I arrived eventually at my program and what I've created was to craft something that was body-based, um, trauma-informed, and essentially, you know, through going through the, uh, the mill of the more sacred, sacred sexuality space, I gap for survivors. Just a second. So, so that last little line, could you say it again? What did I say? I'm not sure. Cause I it froze. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so what I was saying was that when I created my own uh, someone body pleasure work, someone body trauma informed pleasure work. I really based on what I saw was a real gap in two people. Um, oh, now my internet is unstable. It's hopefully this will go. It was fine. It just barely glipped, but it didn't glip out like okay. your words. So I get to hear what you were saying. So we're okay. good. Um, Yes, so I was trying to fill a gap and serve those who were more sensitive, who uh, were looking for something that was trauma-informed and wanted to work more on 
you know, where I differ a little bit is in, I'm not just looking at how to have this kind of orgasm and what kind of vibrator to use. Like we go deep and say, what's your relationship to pleasure? Like, what does that mean for you to experience pleasure? Are you open to pleasure in, you know, when you're soaking in the tub alone, but not open to pleasure when you're out with your friends, you know, having a picnic or whatever, where are the places in your life that you feel open and available where your body feels open and available to connection and pleasure? And where do you feel closed off? So I really kind of peel things back and zoom in because once we establish what's going on in those, on the really body nervous system level, everything else just opens right up. Okay, so you really dive deep into kind of where their psyche is and kind of what is appropriate or inappropriate for them. Um, Very personal. Yeah, yeah. So now you started doing this research, you started seeing where the gap was in other programs and other things that were like that. So you've created this one so that you can help women to be able to overcome these things. Mm-hmm. And you, what is your business that you have now? So it's called Soma Body Trauma-Informed Pleasure Work. Okay. And so you now take them from where they are to be able to be comfortable with who they are and be okay with the woman that they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this is a, a subject that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about. And I know sometimes it's hard because, you know, it's something that a lot of people just kind of shut off, especially women. And now for me, it's more about having the pleasure with my husband, but there are a lot of women that, you know, don't have that either. They don't have the spouse and the, you know, things like that. So, so in your program, you help them explore who they are, go deep into those emotions and why they're there, I'm guessing, and how to be able to be okay with the woman that they are. Yeah. And the Um, pleasures that they desire. It is, yes. And I want to, there are a couple of things that you touched on that I want to pick up. Um, We don't talk about this. We don't talk about pleasure. We don't talk about sex. We're extremely sexually repressed as a society. Um, And I think women are more reticent to talk about sex because we've learned that expressing our sexuality being in our sexual energy is dangerous it gets us catcalled it gets us um, harassed we might get have someone think badly about us at work you know so anytime we're in our pleasure body which is what i call the experience of being really connected and, and grounded in your own body and your own experience of pleasure um it's risky Mm-hmm. And it's especially risky, you know, in light of the last 18 months or two years that we've had. So while yes, um, we definitely do go deep. I don't, a lot of my work is it, it's working on the subconscious because we're body-based. So I don't go in and say, let's talk about your most, you know, traumatic memory and all of the feelings <laughs> that came up as a result. That's actually, um, part of what makes the work so traumatizing in other systems is because pleasure work of any kind is attachment work. Anytime we're working on our pleasure stories, we're connecting to our first experiences of pleasure. 
like the safety we felt the moment after birth and the feeling of being nourished by Thank you for touching on that because you know I think when you talk pleasure a lot of people think it's just stimulus pleasure that you know on ourselves pleasure is in birthing a child and holding them for the first time mm-hmm. pleasure is is being able to hold your husband's hand and feel this love and connection with him um you know there's looking at each other in the, in their eyes having soul to soul connection yes. i mean that's like out of this world <laughs> so you know I love that you're touching on that because, you know, like I said, a lot of times people just go, their mind automatically goes right there, but it's not about that. It's not about that. It's about so many other things that we experience in our lives. It's everything. I mean, forest bathing is pleasure. Having a nice cup of tea on a like cold rainy day is pleasure. Yes. Uh, And when we can open up our definition of what pleasure means, we actually teach our nervous systems become more available to more types of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And excuse me, I wanted to touch on what you were saying about the different types of relational pleasure that we can experience. And I think it's really important to, uh, to really open up that conversation to say, well, sex isn't just penis and vagina, right? Right. It's like texting, sexting can be sex, role play can be sex, making out can be sex, holding hands, gently like tracing someone's hand against an arm can be sex. It's any time we're engaged in some form of relational interaction or context that helps us feel like we're in our pleasure bodies. That's my definition of Thank sex you. and pleasure. I'm but, just glad we clarified that because yeah. I, I really feel like a lot of times people just don't get it. Their mind's going somewhere else. It's like, no, no, wait. It's about so many different pleasures that we have in life. So, so thank you for clarifying that. And, and so you find out, you know, what the person kind of is desiring and wanting in their life. Maybe it's just a connection to have a person that understand you and that you can have a conversation with that, that really sympathize, sympathizes with you and, you know, things that are happening. So, um, what, how do you help them go from having, not being able to feel comfortable with who they are to being able to be comfortable with the person that they are and know that, that what they desire is, is a true, um, gift, you know, from God. I mean, it really is. It's something that we have been gifted to be able to pleasure so many things in life, birthing, you know, we talked about some of those. So how do you take them from that? And, and what is their, like, what is their end result that you're trying to accomplish for them? So everyone's different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have some, I'd say like, almost a hundred percent, 90 to a hundred percent, 90 to 95%. Let's not say hundred. Most women who find me are coming out of an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy series of dating experiences. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to figure out why they keep tripping over the same, you know, same crack in the percent. sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Right. So some of them, have no interest in dating and they just want to practice intentional celibacy for a while and just use that experience to kind of deep dive into themselves. Um, 
And in all cases, you know, the goal is dependent on what the individual wants, but I can tell you, I can tell you a couple of, um, not stories, but examples of some of the things that I see. Um, but before that, I do want to touch on sort of the commonality between all of us who have struggled in, in that way in relationships. And it's an absence of safety and acceptance of our authenticity. So authenticity, it's not like a nice to have or some trendy little thing that we put a hashtag on a post. Authenticity is a survival need. When I don't feel safe to be myself, my nervous system launches a stress response. And if I'm in a relationship where I'm constantly having to launch that same stress response in order to stay safe, in order to come up with new and interesting ways to try and feel like I'm okay in the relationship or like I'm not going to be harmed today. Over time, that eats away, not just at my sense of self, but it uh, hinders my neuroendocrine system, my digestive system, my, uh, my concentration, memory, all of my organ and body tissues are going to be, um, all the optimal function, functioning of my organ and body tissues are gonna be compromised by having to run this stress response. So authenticity is really the foundation of, of what I do in supporting people to connect with what's authentic. And the, the foundation of that foundation is safety. If we don't feel safe to be ourselves, we won't be ourselves. If, and it's gonna be really hard for me to be my authentic self in bed if I don't feel safe to be my authentic self in life. Right. So that's really where I start with folks. Um, and in terms of some of the long-term goals, I've seen my like the most dramatic and the quickest turnaround that I've seen is with uh, a woman who uh, in three sessions, she went from not being able to use her voice in bed to all of a sudden, like within three sessions, she was, um, and she met a new partner. She was able to um, connect with herself authentically. She was able to voice her concerns and her needs to her partner. Her partner heard her, responded, and felt honored that he got to be the one to help her create a new definition of sexuality and a new experience of pleasure in her body. Like, yes. This yeah. is so that part is of huge. And is. I think the biggest thing that, that women don't do is that very thing. Voice what your desire is, because, you know, I think most, well, I don't know if it's most men, but some of the men really just want to give you what you want. You know what I mean? Like they really want to please you. If mm -hmm. that's, helping you with dishes or whatever, if you, if you can just voice that and allow them to, you know, and, and I'm one of those that have fallen into that trap before where you've actually had a, um, you know, like you're taking care of and you're cooking and you're cleaning and you're putting away the dishes and they say, Oh, can I help you? And you say, Oh no, I got this. And I'm like, you know, I don't do that anymore. I'm like, yeah, love your help. I would love to have you in the kitchen. I would love to have you side by side with me. And so, you know, it's, it's being okay with 
that. And I think we didn't grow up seeing that because our parent, our moms didn't do that. You know, it was more, how can I take care of you? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a learned thing for sure. Well, it's, it's both it's learned and it's also biological. So when any, so again, this fawn response, what happens the minute it's triggered, um, all of our blood flow moves out of the part of our brain that's responsible for language and speech production. And so we literally lose the ability to use our voices. So it can become almost impossible to say, like if it's happening during an intimate encounter, it can be almost impossible to say no or stop, or I really need to take a break. So it really, it really kind of throws a spanner into the works when we're talking about consent. But even when we talk about the idea of just empowering women to use their voice, just use your voice. If a woman has spent 30, 40, 50 years of being trained to not use their voices, to stay silent, to play nice, to be the good girl and just go along with things. That isn't something that you can just flip a switch and turn it off. There's 50 years of uh, muscle programming (laughs) of all of the, the neural firing, the neural pathways that have gone into creating that really, it's like a complete body attitude. I call it a cast because it really, it creates kind of the experience of living in a cast over time. And so we have to repattern our bodies and our voices and ourselves to start to choose different responses and reactions in real time. And it's not, it's not easy, but once we start doing it, we're actually moving more in alignment with who we are on a neurophysical level. You know, our bodies want to be assertive. We want to be able to use our voices. We, when we think back to like a little two-year-old child, they had all the power in the world. They knew exactly who they were and how much strength they had. And it's over so time cool. that we stop, well, from our conditioning and from the experiences we have and the people who tell us that we're not good enough, that we make ourselves smaller and we make our voices quieter and we stop showing up as the people we came here to be. Mm-hmm. Mm. So true. Mm-hmm. So if someone was wanting to work with you, how could they find you? Uh, my website is nishafair.com. And I'm sure we'll have links in the show notes. Yes, we will have links in the show notes for sure. Um, Instagram at Nisha Fair. My book, Fawn, When No Looks Like Yes, is available on my website as well. And uh, you can just send me an email or shoot me a message through Instagram too. All right, perfect, perfect. And um, I usually ask my clients at the very end, like, what is one thing that took you from like a bad marriage, not being able to speak your mind, not being able to, to voice and, and find what you are desiring in life to being able to just share what you need to share, be able to speak what you need to speak. Someone that's dealing with that, what would what was one thing that helped you through that? Well, I think I've always been very body aware. I've been doing body um, like dance and, and movement my whole life. So my body is my greatest asset. It's my, my most reliable apparatus for getting through anything in life. And so that's even for someone who doesn't have that background, I always say that your body is your best friend. Your body always knows. And it's when we tune into the other piece of when, you know, when we talk about your pleasure body, your pleasure body is where your truth lives. 
Mm-hmm. So if we can connect with our pleasure bodies more often, then we're coming more and more in alignment with who we are, with what's true for us and what we came here to contribute. So that's, I'm body first. Awesome. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. So I was looking because I thought you had a freebie and you do. So share with us a little bit about your freebie that you have for our guests. Yeah. So it's called pleasure prompts and it's just like a really mini coaching process of about 10, I believe there's 10 different prompts in there that can kind of take you through uh, um, just starting to delve a little bit deeper into some of the finer and lesser observed qualities of pleasure and how they show up not just in the bedroom but how they might be impacting you in work in your friendships uh, great making well, that dinner. awesome yeah yeah sounds like something anyone could could benefit very from accessible. yeah and very- also we're going to make sure we have your uh, book link in the show notes as well in case somebody is wanting to purchase that as well. So thank you so much, Nisha, for being on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, It was a pleasure to have you. So we got to enjoy this beautiful conversation. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review now and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning. This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon and this is Power to Grow. Thank you.